this is not going to last forever, as we all know. And the ones who are going to succeed at the outset of this are the ones who are working away furiously like nothing's happening at all. And they're going to be the businesses who are best placed uh, in the industry in six to 18 months. You are listening to the Property Developer Podcast, your home for tips, ideas, and inspiration to help take your developing to the next level. Now, here's your host, Justin Getty. Hello, and welcome to episode 67 of the show. Thanks for joining me. Today, I've got the second of my discussions with people around COVID-19 and what you can be doing to get through this strange period. Today, I'm going to be talking with Andy Hoyne. Andy is a past guest on the show, featured on episode 47 and 48, where we talked about how you can get 100 people lining up to buy into your next property development project. Just before we get into that, here's a very quick update on what I've been up to. I actually this week signed a build contract with the builder, so that's good to get that locked in. I'm just in the process of getting the services abolished for the properties where the site is. That should happen in the next couple of weeks and then we'll book the demo in for probably four to six weeks time and then we can move on to getting all the initial site works done. So it's exciting time. Things are starting to happen, which is great. So back to Andy. In this conversation, we talk about the things he thinks you can be doing to keep your projects progressing, things to avoid doing at the moment. And he's also going to provide some ideas on books or movies, documentaries, other content that you can consume when maybe you've got a little bit more time on your hands. Without any further ado, over to Andy. Andrew Hoyne from the Epinomus Hoyne. Welcome <laughs> back to the show. It's great to have you with us. Thank you. Good to be here. Um, this is a part of a series that I've been doing to inspire people and give them some tips and ideas during this pandemic that's uh, sweeping across the world about what, as property developers, they can be doing in response. So I thought you're a good ideas man or someone with lots of uh, things that people could be doing. So let's talk to Andy, get him back on the show. But just before we get to that... Uh, why don't you give us a bit of a rundown about what you've been doing since we last spoke? I think you've put out a new book, you've been overseas, you're a busy man as usual. Wow, has it been that long? Um, our new book came out, uh, it's actually about a year ago now. Uh, we've been well into the third volume of The Place Economy. Um, up until the way the world has changed, I had been doing a lot of travel for work. We're doing a number of pretty exciting projects in other countries, um, although that's all turned into just a lot of Zoom meetings at this point in time. Thankfully, wherever we are working, we've got a really good sense of what's happening on the ground with those markets. So, you know, we can continue to forge forward with quite a few of those projects. So the downturn's hurting everybody, but, you know, we're pretty optimistic and, and forging forward. Um, it's just the beauty of having a lot of long-term relationships, I guess. So what are you finding, I mean, you work with a lot of big developers. What's the sense you've been getting from them about how they're reacting or what they're planning on doing over the next short-term, medium-term and long-term? They're probably continuing on their merry way, but sort of more of the shorter-term stuff. Look, I think uh, when this hit, everybody stalled everything uh, for a moment. Um, I've found that Quite a few of them have uh, have gotten things moving again. They might have stalled it for a week or for maybe three weeks. But for the majority, they've paused, uh, considered where they're at, reviewed the particular project in terms of uh, its future pipeline. Um, and for the most part, they have just gotten back on the horse and kept pushing forward. Uh, certain projects 
in residential are either on hold for the moment, but surprisingly, some are still forging forward with a lot of optimism. When you say forging forward, you mean things that are beginning to settle or building that's commencing or planning or across the board? Well, you know, in terms of the work that we do, whether it's place visioning or property marketing, you know, we're right at the sort of early stages, meaning that the developers who are forging forward are still planning on releasing projects to the market in spring this year. So they're really using this time wisely to um, think more deeply about how to make the project as compelling as can be. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how spring goes because there might be some sort of green shoots of optimism coming back to the market by then. But whether it springs back, pardon the pun, straight back to where we were pre-pandemic will be really interesting to see. I can't imagine that it'll be anything like that. But rather than it being absolutely nothing, it will be something. You know, there will be projects being launched. Others that were planning to launch this year will hold back to 2021. You know, there are certainly big moves in the commercial office market because for many of those, they're looking anything from two to five years out. Uh, So they really need to be forging forward anyway uh, to be resolving some of those deals, um, which are actually setting them up for success in several years to come. Yeah, which a couple of years' time will be an interesting time. I think just given the clampdown that's going to happen on international arrivals and migration into the country and what kind of impact that's going to have because that's really been propping up a lot of the property industry and the economy in general. So putting a a stop on that is going to have really interesting repercussions over over time. Uh, absolutely. Um But I think, you know, where we're all at right now is, you know, this idea of a new normal, figuring out how to approach uh, the future in a way that we've never thought about in the past. So I think it'll actually inspire a lot of new thinking and creativity and probably a lot more entrepreneurialism. Um, So, you know, while it's easy to focus on the the negatives that we're experiencing right now, uh, I think we really have to take a more optimistic viewpoint of the opportunity that will actually come out of this. Yes, exactly why we're here talking today. So I thought that we would have a conversation around five things that you suggest that people could be doing now and five things that they could also be avoiding to give people some inspiration. So why don't we jump right in? What do you recommend that people could be doing now to keep their projects progressing? Well, I think in property, you know, the standard issue that we're all confronted with every day is time and cost. So, you know, if we're realising better lending conditions with regard to interest rates, then, you know, we have no choice than to slow down. Then what better opportunity to sort of spend double the time on every decision that we make? So, you know, what better time to take a more clinical approach to ensuring the product we're taking to market and the approach that we're using is actually going to give us the best possible opportunity to succeed? Um, Now, it's no surprise to say that this will be one of the most unique moments in our life, both personally and career-wise. So without all the daily distractions, I think we really need to make make the most of that and rethink a better future for our businesses and our customers. Um, How can we be more inspiring? And without selling, why will our market be increasingly attracted to our projects in future? What can we do now to prepare for when the market improves? Um, And of course, it's going to change gradually, not overnight like it started. Um, but this could be, you know, the most creative opportunity for many people's career that they've ever been presented with. 
So the intelligence within our businesses or from our trusted consultants uh, should be put to use brainstorming. You know, now's the time to figure out ways to make every project even better. You know, we can plan to ensure success comes at the end of the coronavirus, or whether it's 2021 or not. Um, and we can, you know, use tools like uh, our place visioning service to solve problems now and to actually come up with those better ideas to ensure that what we're delivering uh, does result in better social and economic outcomes. Um, one of the interesting uh, topics that's being raised with me a lot in the last few weeks is uh, is DA and council approvals. You know, it continues to be a frustration contrary to uh, state government and federal government uh, statements. But I'm really hoping that the standard <laughs> angst about DA approvals from local councils will start to improve. Um, you know, I mean, council's normal way of answering no before the question's even been asked is really under a lot of pressure from state and federal government. And what big government wants is action and momentum and people in jobs, and that requires approvals. So while some developments need to be stopped or improved because they're not great to start with, um, you know, the reality is there is so much great quality development out there that needs to forge forward uh, without the standard red tape, just for the sake of red tape. Um, I thought I'd, I was going to touch on a, a category that I'm finding quite interesting at the moment, which is house and land. And, it, you know, particularly what's going on, it's really forcing me to think about this category because this is a great opportunity to rethink the way we approach it in this country. And post-coronavirus, there could be a real increase uh, of consumer interest in buying into the suburbs, middle ring or outer ring, you know, greenfields. And I think that people are kind of talking more and thinking more about the notion of space, perceived safety and health. And so, you know, nothing ever before this time has made us think of our homes as a refuge like it has right now. So I feel that people are going to invest more money and effort and time into making their homes their castle. Um, but the problem we have is that most or many house and land developments are dog boring. They're terrible. They're just a replication of what we've always seen. And they're totally car dependent. So if we start to think about how do we include more amenity, how do we create a sense of urbanity and fine grain, it's going to make it easier to attract this potentially growing urban market looking to the fringes. And I think now is the best chance developers have ever had to innovate rather than assuming it's business as usual because that just won't be enough. And so what would you do to get rid of the cars? Well, I'm not suggesting get rid of the cars, but I find that, uh, you know, in most Greenfields master plan communities, there's not enough consideration for uh, retail uh, services, green space, parks. And so just to get the milk, people get in the car. So if we actually think about the way that we're designing these master plans and making them more walkable, I mean, I'm certainly not suggesting people don't have cars in these areas because the reality is that public transport is still not good enough. Um, but certainly, you know, by actually thinking more about amenity across uh, a, a, a master plan, uh, we can actually help people have a healthier, more engaged, community-orientated life and certainly change the notion that people who live in, in an urban uh, central area might reconsider the value that comes with living out in the fringe. Well, I don't think it's too far away from automated vehicles being part of, maybe just part of the 
the estate or the development, they get thrown in with the with the project and they're for communal use by the people who live in the area. Yeah, agree. All right. What what else have you got? <laughs> so, um, you know, what are some things that people can do now during a, a period of uncertainty? Well, I would say that, you know, the experience that we're all going through now has started to kind of deprioritize the distractions that we've probably all accepted in the past as being quite normal. And so I think one of the things we need to get better at is rethinking time management. Um, so something that I would ask is that, What's something you've always wanted to do with your developments, but you felt you've never had the time? You know, did you want to do research? Did you want to talk to consumers? Did you want to actually internally test new ideas with your team and throw stuff around that you could actually ideate and be more progressive with? Because there's never been a better time than now. And I also think that we probably need to give a lot of consideration to changing markets. So while the residential focus has been on the owner-occupier market for the last 12 to 18 months, maybe even longer. I think we need to better understand the idiosyncrasies rather than trying to oversimplify markets, which, you know, people have a tendency to uh, err towards. And, and an example of that maybe is like if we think about residential offer plan sales, um, investors have been missing uh, in the buyer mix for some time. And maybe this is an opportunity to kind of re-engage them. Now, I'm sure many people will disagree with me completely and assume that investors have never been harder to engage uh ever than they are right now. But I would sort of challenge that thought and say that the share market is incredibly volatile. It's creating constant fear and uncertainty. Um, there's no value leaving cash in the bank. The interest rate's nothing. Um, but actually, from a borrowing point of view, interest rates as low as they're ever going to get. And look, for the right asset and for cash-rich investors, borrowing from banks will be easy. You know, they tick all the boxes. So I think our job is to figure out how to find them, how to engage them, and what we can do to draw them towards our developments, assuming that, you know, what we have to offer actually meets that investor criteria. Um, yeah. Robbie, so, sorry something to, else? I mean, sorry to jump in there, Andy. I, I, I agree with you. I think there will need to be more focus on all the, all the categories, all of your potential buyers. There'll need to be more effort put into understanding them and attracting them because I think... I think the buyer market will be shallower when when the pandemic eases and you really have to go hard after all your potential um, buyer markets. So, yes, focusing on people like investors is a really good idea, even if it only ends up being a very small percentage of the total number of buyers that buy into your project. I just don't think people will be able to afford to be complacent with potential buyer markets. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's interesting because I... I think that one of the things we should be doing a lot more of is producing relevant content. Now, admittedly, I'm um, getting way too many emails of just junk, you know, people who've got too much time in their hands to just write and write. And I'm certainly not suggesting more of that because it's kind of annoying. But And I'm certainly not suggesting more marketing. So this is not about the sort of thing that, you know, our firm would do. I think that there are fantastic experts out there in PR and social media that can really help win more future buyers by creating interesting and relevant content, and particularly where people have already been purchasers, just to update them in regard to where the project is at, what's its status, give them a sense of comfort, um, or otherwise, you know, help customers make a decision about purchasing when the time is eventually right for them. So it, it's not about pressure; it's just about information, and it's not about over communicating, and it's not about saying too much. Um, 
I think it, it's also important when you're doing that to remind the market and customers how solid you are. You know, we're being told that the bankruptcies that are going to occur in the next 12 months will be exponential, let alone job losses. But there are some incredible solid firms out there, not just the small and big ones, but ones that have been around for a long time. And it's interesting, I saw Stockland uh, put something to the market yesterday about how strong their balance sheet is. And that really inspires confidence, you know, with a broad range of stakeholders. And I mean, personally, I've been in business 29 years. I've been through four or five big downturns, uh, you know, from being smashed in the face during the GFC uh, to the dot-com bubble to others. So, you know, I mean, I have no concern about getting through this. Yeah, it's going to be tough for all of us, but, you know, you just got to persevere. Um, I think the final thing I'd probably throw into that is about, you know, and probably on the same note really is I, I just think you want to keep engaging with helpful, inspiring ways to kind of keep contact with people who have registered their interest or made a deposit. You know, use methods to illustrate to them that the kind of community or the lifestyle that they can look forward to being part of down the track. And so, you know, things that are sort of coming out of the ground, um, consider doing things like private digital channels where, you know, those purchasers can enjoy a cooking lesson with a local chef that's currently restaurant is not open. Um, you know, take advantage of people in the area who might not be busy, whether they're gardeners or artsy folk or whatever. You know, hero local people uh, do things that are actually entertaining but actually make people feel like they're a part of a local collective or part of a local tribe. Yeah, I think it's a good idea to to stay in touch. And people do want something inspiring at the moment and something to look forward to. So if they are planning on purchasing and if you can provide that inspiration, then I think, yes, they'll be more likely to engage with you. But what about developers out there who are doing stuff in the suburbs, the middle ring? They're not, it might not be a project that is big enough to warrant a, a local chef or something like that. What's something that they could be doing? Well, you know, back to the point of just updating their purchases uh, about where they're at, you know, People drive past a site they bought from, and if they drive past and there are no builders there and nothing is happening, that creates fear. They've put a deposit down, and they're starting to think, wow, this thing's never going to get completed. Now, you know, their money is in an account that it's guaranteed to be returned if, you know, it doesn't go ahead. But, you know, if people have made that commitment, they're excited about moving in, you know, if it's an occupier. So it's about mitigating fear. And, you know, if you've got a small development in the middle ring suburb that, is only a couple of dozen, then contact purchasers one-on-one. Don't do it as a mass email. Make it more personal. Yeah, that's a good idea. You could even write them a letter, couldn't you? Just a little handwritten letter. (laughs) You know, it's funny. I was actually saying to someone the other day that um, one of the things that I've been doing more of is just writing handwritten notes and cards because, you know, while digital is fast, it doesn't have any lasting value. And a handwritten note is personal and therefore it has more value. Uh, it must be the Australia Post delays in delivery from my card arriving in the post yet, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't uh, I haven't thought of any sort of sweet something to send you, mate. Oh yeah, you're just working down alphabetically. You've only got down to E. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I also think if you haven't got something really purposeful or meaningful to say, then just say nothing. That's <laughs> uh, like a backhanded compliment there. Anyway, let's move on. Um, any other tips for what people can be doing? Well, you know, I think, well, you know, it's probably worth talking about 
the sort of things people should be avoiding doing right now too. Yeah, let's move um, into that. So I would say, look, just don't just sit on things and then all of a sudden make them red hot urgent. Be reasonable. Like manage expectations both up and down the line. And, you know, that also means um, not making people wait unnecessarily. You know, communicate with them. Let them know where things are at. I mean, we're working with some awesome clients on some great projects. But I've got to say we're also working with some organisations on projects where the only reason that's stalling is because some individuals are having problems with their own time management. And, look, maybe they're trying to work from home, they're surrounded by kids, and that's got to be tough. You know, there's going to be a whole bunch of reasons why people are really struggling with time management. And so the concern that I have is that in some of the large organisations, I fear that what's being reported internally within their own company is probably blame being attributed to the consultants for a holdup when it's actually the consultant who's all over it and ready to go and doing anything they can to move it forward. But things are getting held up at the client end for whatever reason. And if that's the case, that's cool. Just admit it. Just be open. Communicate. You know, these are super weird times. No one's going to get upset. But I would strongly advise people, don't try and pass the blame onto an innocent party because you will get busted. The truth always comes out eventually. Yeah, I mean, my experience with my own consultants at the moment isn't really, I'm not seeing massive delays with people turning stuff around. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, at the consultant end, you're probably finding that people are more responsive than they've ever been before. Um, I think that the thing that I'm seeing is some of the really large organisations where we're talking about hundreds or thousands of people where it's easy to hide, you know, where you're kind of reliant on on an individual to keep something moving but no returned emails, no returned phone calls. And then somebody else in the same team is kind of like, where is it? You're like, well, God, I've, I've done it all. I'm just waiting for someone to approve it or give us some feedback. We actually can't move forward without that person. But at the same time, you don't want to bury them either. Because the reality is that the strength of your business is the strength of your relationships. So you're kind of caught between a rock and a hard place. So Andy, do you reckon that's just a magnification of how that individual may operate? And it's just been sort of brought to the fore because of the circumstances? Or do you think that it's just a result of of the pressure and the environment? I think for many people, it's just a result of the coronavirus. I think it's particularly difficult with parents and kids you know sometimes there might be a single parent at home they might have two or three kids and you know all of us would have to appreciate that would be pretty overwhelming um you know depending on the ages of the kids um you know there'll be there'll be a hard home life uh situation to manage and balance yeah so i've got two kids who are homeschooling or remote learning or however it wants to be described at the moment that are patiently waiting outside the door at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's lucky we haven't had an interruption so far, but fingers crossed. (laughs) I'm lucky. uh, I've been at the office every day since this has occurred. And, you know, our Sydney office is like 620 square metres. It's pretty big. and There's only four of us here. So we've pretty much got a corner of each of the building to us, to ourselves. And I've loved riding my bike into work every day with no traffic. And it's actually been quite quite lovely you know so there's people like me who are actually getting some benefit out of what's going on oh yes there's always benefits in any situation andy but uh (laughs) what's next what else can people avoid doing look i would say just avoid pessimism you know this situation is not going to last forever 
there's still a market out there. Spring could be a great time for a lot of projects. So let's just start preparing for it. But with that in mind, we've got to avoid sending out hard sales messages right now. They're just not going down well. People don't appreciate it. It's annoying. And, you know, all the analytics are showing us that people are drawn to empathetic messaging. Um, so it's quite vital, I think, that we adjust our communications and just play down the hardcore sales messages. I'd probably also suggest that we really are conscious about overspending in media. You know, let's use our own channels to communicate, you know, even with our databases. And, um, you know, however, with regard to paid media, let's figure out where the big discounts are. Who's doing deals? You know, where can we flex our buying power? Um, I would suggest, you know, I've got, you know, 50, 60 staff and we just let them do their thing, um, you know, and I would suggest to others, don't check up on your staff, you know, give people trust, let them perform. And, you know, remember, for some of them, it's particularly difficult. So be passionate and be calm. Um, what about frequency of messaging or frequency of interaction, Andy? Got any advice well, on how much is too much or how much is not enough? I think that, you know, when you've got sort of leaders in your business, they need to have a sense of who is or isn't being communicated with on a regular basis. And certainly in our case, whether it's studio managers or team leaders, uh, they will know that and they will make a point of reaching out just to, to check in with people who may have not been involved in a Zoom meeting. But I would say for the most part in our business, you know, 90% of people are on a number of Zoom meetings a day or getting phone calls and, and are directly in contact with others. So for the vast majority of them, it's definitely not an issue. Um, but, you know, you'll always find that there's a few people who who just like to sort of work in isolation in the quiet and they're quite happy doing that. But you don't want to assume that either. You've got to, you know, check in and see how people are going and understand their emotional state. What about with your buyers and potential buyers? Well, I, I think that, as I say, right now is not the time to, to focus on sales messages but for the right sort of communication, uh, if, if it's, you know, really considered, uh, it will be appreciated. But I think uh, we just need to be really conscious at what stage those buyers are at, you know, um, and what stage that you're thinking of launching if you are, haven't launched already. Very good. Any so other I was things kind of, to avoid? Yeah, look, I, you know, I was kind of thinking about the notion of, a lot of developers are like, right, we do resi or we do commercial or we do retail. And I would say that if there was ever a time to avoid sticking to your knitting, it might be now. You know, like you might have made plans to focus on a particular sector that you've always focused on, but that sector might now be very weak and it might not be likely to come back in any meaningful way with regard to momentum for a few years. So maybe now's the time to pivot. Maybe you've always developed one asset class and now's the time to branch out. You know, I was reading that um, the all-powerful build-to-rent sector in the USA is experiencing monumental pain because a third of the tenants around America are simply unable to pay their rent this month. And so that might be the case for some months to come. So it's just one example of a sector which might shift. And admittedly, I'm talking about the USA now, not the local market. But, you know, developers there planning to do more BTR might actually move into another category. And so I probably think that that means don't sit still. You know, now's really time to get things done, to work ahead of the curve. And we all know in six months' time, 
most companies and people regret not taking advantage of the time that they had right now to be productive, you know, in, in what is, you know, actually a great opportunity. So as I said, you know, this is not going to last forever, as we all know. And the ones who are going to succeed at the outset of this are the ones who are working away furiously like nothing's happening at all. And they're going to be the businesses who are best placed uh, in the industry in six to 18 months. And so speaking of pivoting and and potentially changing, you touched on planning. If you had something that was going through planning or maybe something that's been approved, but you're going to take a look at it with a fresh set of eyes, what are the kind of things that you think people should be considering when they're looking at their plans now? Should they have confidence in what they were proposing or do you think they should be looking at it with fresh eyes? I think you have to look at everything with fresh eyes. You know, I think every single market is going to change. Nothing will be the same. But it's not to say that they'll be worse either. You know, some markets, when they eventually come out of this, will actually be very strong. So it's not change for the sake of change, but it's certainly analysis and assessment of whatever it is you're doing to feel confident that that's the right approach to take. I think with some uh, property categories, now is a great time to be actually thinking about what can I do that I don't think anyone else in the market is doing that will really get me some attention, uh, that will be a great experience within the development or a piece of amenity, or is it the landscaping, is it some architecture, is it the story that I can tell that will actually bring people towards me when the time is right? All right. Well, that all sounds good. So, plenty of ideas there. But tell me, what have what have you learnt yourself or your own experience over the last couple of weeks? What are, What's something that you've taken out of, of the experience? Uh, look, for me, I think that I am really grateful for the fact that I have been in business for 29 years because it's enabled me to be very calm. Um, you know, there's no hysteria with me, with, you know, even some crazy shit that's happened in the last month. Uh, you know, major projects we've been, you know, preparing to start on, I kid you not, for 13 months have all of a sudden gone on hold. Work that we're doing in um, airports has all stopped. All our university work has stopped. Um, you know, there are certain areas that I don't see coming back to life again, maybe not even this year. Um so that's disappointing, but I'm just not letting anything get me down or, or make me feel pessimistic. So, but that's not necessarily because of just my personality, but it's actually because after 29 years, I know that things will come good again. I know that you just have to maintain a sense of consistency. I know that you have to engage your people. And I know that you've got to make very quick decisions. You know, just get on with it and make decisions. You know, don't wait around to think, oh, I'll see what happens next. You don't know what's going to happen next. So make the decisions that you need to make now. And so, you know, it's interesting because it's meant that we've started to think about what new or different things can we do. Well, speaking of new or different things, have you been doing yourself anything new or different? Apart from Um, obviously working with less people. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, yeah, it's obviously having the, the team dispersed amongst all their homes in some way has been a really unexpected positive because our offices, Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane, are now working more collaboratively than they've ever worked in the history of the business. Now we're, you know, putting teams together more so in almost every single job where there might be someone from a different office collaborating uh, in a way they never have before. So that's been a phenomenal outcome. It's been something I've been wanting to happen for many, many years. But, 
I don't know what's cultural or, you know, it just hasn't come together, but that's going to be something that will be a lasting benefit for our business, for the right person with the right skill and the right job, regardless of where they happen to be in whichever state. Um, from a marketing perspective, you know, we've been doing um, Instagram live sessions. You know, we're quite keen to keep conversations around place going uh, and property marketing. We really kind of want to talk to the broader industry and talk to people about how they can adapt and answer people's questions. Um, we're about to launch our virtual place tours. Uh, this is a series of narrated video tours of best-in-class placemaking and place visioning projects, which we've been putting together at the moment. And it's a combination of pictures and storytelling, and it uses our own research plus footage that I've taken or our team have taken and, you know, some images that we've created. And we think that'll be kind of a unique thing to share in the market. Um, probably the toughest thing has been running workshops via Zoom, you know, I'm talking about it could be anything from 10 people to 20-something people. And it's not easy when, you know, there might be a group of clients and consultants from two to maybe even five other companies in digital attendance. But I, I kind of, having done these a few times now, once you kind of understand how to engage people differently and manage their contribution differently and actually set rules at the beginning of these sessions, you can really get people contributing. And actually, I've been able to make them work really productively. I mean, it does mean hosting the process quite differently than ever before. Um, and it is actually harder. It's certainly not easier. But, you know, you can get people to kind of uh, contribute in a session that maybe in the past some of them would have hidden away. In a room they might have said nothing and just sort of sat in the corner. But now I'm probably more inclined to go looking for them and actually question them on topics just to make sure everyone's perspective is being tabled. So there are definitely pros and cons, and I've learned a lot about um, how to make that productive. And I think probably a very similar thing goes to brainstorming, you know, where we're talking about getting our team, uh, you know, the Hoyne team together to generate ideas on a project. And um, on the plus side, interestingly with that, if anyone's got an idea, they simply just put it up on screen, they Google it or they find it on the computer, all of a sudden it's instantly there. Whereas in the old days, you know, a month ago, <laughs> we would be, you know, in a room and someone would have to go back to the computer, find it, print it out, bring it back into the room, stick it on the wall. And so it probably didn't really happen. People just talk through it because we didn't want to break the momentum. But now, you know, we can just flip around whoever wants to control the screen and quickly put something up. And that continues the conversation in terms of ideation. And so what I've really surprisingly found is there's real benefits to this process, which never existed before you know that ability to load images or references or put plans up on immediately or just share a video or an instantaneous thought for me that's been a, a real boon yeah and just going back to your point around virtual tours I, I think there's a real opportunity there because i think that a lot of the the tours the video walkthroughs that are, get done in this country are very lackluster <laughs> And I think there's a real opportunity to make them far more exciting and interesting uh, to, to engage people in, in those virtual, whether it's a video walkthrough or a virtual reality tour. I just think they can be a lot more interesting and exciting and engaging for, for the viewer. Um, whenever I go anywhere, I'm, and I go looking for great places, whether we worked on them or I just think they're impressive. And so I'm always taking a lot of video just off my phone. And uh, the team were saying a few weeks ago, wow, we've got so much cool video that, you know, uh, we've taken through various places we've never shown anybody. It's just sitting there. We've just got this pile of video. So now has been a great opportunity for us. 
with our video team to start to edit all that and put it together so we can actually put it to use and share it and actually share the insights. Um, so, you know, it's funny when you actually kind of look under the, under the uh, bonnet, sometimes you're surprised by how many assets you have sitting there unused. Yes, well, you did a trip to New York, I think, to have a look at some projects there. And I guess New York is probably one of those leading places in the world when it comes to projects and placemaking. If there's one thing that you could take from New York and how they do developments, what would it be? (laughs) This is going to surprise you because it has nothing to do with marketing. Um, You know, the big difference between a place like New York and many other parts of the world is that uh, for a lot of the projects that I've looked at, they actually don't have any bank funding. The cash just comes from their back pocket. You know, these are incredibly wealthy organisations that are, or, you know, individuals who don't have millions. They have trillions or at least billions. And, uh, you know, the idea that they can actually develop their thinking and, and go to market without being fixated on, you know, achieving pre-sales uh, just to get their bank funding or whatever funding support mechanism they've got in place. Uh, that's quite unique and it's certainly not something I've ever seen occur in Australia. Um, I guess it also means that uh, there is an ability by some of these people who I've met uh, on these trips that they go with their gut. It's less about what they think the broader market is doing and more about their view on how they want to lead the market. Um, And, you know, that obviously takes a huge amount of confidence and a lot of money to sort of support that initiative. Um, But it certainly results in best of category outcomes that uh, it's not surprising that they occur in New York. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with their market. They've been very badly hit by Corona, so hopefully they can all bounce back quickly and start producing awesome projects again. Now, I wanted to ask you, we've all got a little bit more extra time on our hands or looking for things to do. I know you're a well-read man, or have you got a book or a documentary or a movie, something that you could recommend to people? Sure. Um, Probably the thing that I've just seen recently, which just makes me laugh just thinking about it, was a TV series on Netflix called The Kaminsky Method. It's so funny, so poignant. Uh, It's about a famous acting coach and his longtime agent. And, you know, they just laugh at the curveballs that life throws them. And it actually stars Michael Douglas and Ellen Arkin, two pretty sort of famous actors. But it's just hilarious. It's just one short series. I think they're only 30-minute episodes, but uh, I'd strongly recommend that. Um, I'm probably reading – I mean, I'm always reading a lot of books, and sometimes I reread some of the same books – but uh, a couple of books that I'm going through at the moment that might really interest people is um, one by Peter Alliard called Destination 2050. Now, Peter is quite an interesting futurist. So, uh, you know, no one predicted the coronavirus, and I'm certainly not suggesting Peter did, but interesting to uh, kind of read his view on the future. And I wonder how much the coronavirus has on Peter's viewpoint in terms of uh, maybe publishing a revised edition. Um, I think that he's got some really good ideas. Another book that I read um, last year was by Professor Ed Blakely and Richard Yu called Crafting Innovative Places, and that's definitely uh, a great book worth a read. Um, And another book that you would not expect somebody in place branding, place visioning and property marketing to read is a book that I'm into called Public Infrastructure and Private Finance. Um, You know, I kind of have a strong view that 
I need to know as much as I can about all aspects of uh, property, not just the area that I contribute from. And that's a book by Demetrio Munoz Gillen and Erwin van der Krabben, and uh, it's it's definitely worth a read. Um, one of the best books I've ever read in business, and I suggest that everyone read it if they have not. It's by Ray Dalio. It's called Principles: Life and Work. Uh, Ray is one of the most uh, uh, successful business people and one of the wealthiest people in the world. And he has some incredible insights on, you know, the way he approaches life and work. And um, there's some fantastic insights and good ideas in there. Um, the School of Life do great series of books. And if you haven't read one, get your hands on one. There's always uh, some great content to really make you rethink about the way that you approach life. And then finally, if you haven't read volume two of The Place Economy, just get online and order one. Um, people always complain it's such a bloody big, thick book. Uh, it's got about 80 articles in it. It's pretty substantial, but if there was ever a time to get into it and enjoy, it's right now. Well, it's, it is full of nice, pretty pictures, though, Andy. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, what is it? Um, I think I've forgotten. I think it's 560 pages. Uh, it's got 60,000 words, but I think it also has about 800 images. So, yeah, it's pretty content rich. Yeah, look, both those volumes are actually quite good reading from because they're just short case studies. So you can kind of read one in bed before you go to sleep, and they're full of heaps, full of full of lots of ideas of what people are doing around the world. So it, yeah, that's good bedtime reading or just flicking through when you got ten, fifteen minutes. Any parting words of wisdom, ideas, comments? Oh. I think I would just remind people again, you know, be collaborative, stay optimistic, know that this will pass, uh, use the time to actually innovate and be creative. You'll never get a chance like this again. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how long it lasts. So where can people go to find out more about you or about Hoyn? Uh, look, just jump on our website, Hoyn, H-O-Y-N-E.com.au. Uh, has access to the place economy uh, and all of our kind of content. Awesome. Well, Andrew Hoyne, thanks once again for being on the Property Developer Podcast and sharing your insights on what people can do during this strange period of time. So obviously from your point of view, it's an opportunity and people should be get cracking on looking at their business and seeing what opportunities they can find. Thanks, Justin. Thanks for being on the show again. <laughs> My pleasure. Anytime. You've been listening to the Property Developer Podcast. Tune in next time for more tips, ideas and inspiration to take your developing to the next level. For more developing love, make sure to visit propertydeveloperpodcast.com.